0: What does the Bible say about race? Is race even a biblical category? More broadly, how should Christians think about ethnicity, culture, and the differences that so often separate us from each other, both outside and, sadly, inside the church? In our interview today, I'm talking with Stephen Bryan about how Christians should approach the various collective identities that bind and divide us in our world today. We discuss what we can learn from the story of the Tower of Babel in Scripture, the cultural blind spots that we all wrestle with, and what it looks like to pursue unity as God's people even in the midst of our differences. Stephen currently serves as Professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, but worked for decades on the mission field in Ethiopia. His new book is Cultural Identity and the Purposes of God, a Biblical Theology of Ethnicity, Nationality, and Race from Crossway. Let's get started. Well, Steve, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway Podcast. Well, it's a pleasure
1: to be here. Just uh, appreciate the chance to have this conversation.
0: Yeah, it's such an important conversation, discussing the, the nature of our collective identities, the, the things uh, about our cultures, our ethnicities, race, all these things. Uh, help to define who we are relative to other people. And these are obviously big topics that are really at the forefront a lot of our broader cultural conversations today in the U.S. and and around the world. Uh, And so this book is, I think, such a helpful starting place for good conversation as Christians. But before we kind of get into some of the ideas that you are helping us to see from the Bible, I wonder if you could share a little bit about your own background, because I think it connects uh, to what you're trying to do in this book in a kind of a, a unique way?
1: Yeah, we uh, spent uh, about 24 years in uh, in East Africa, in Ethiopia, actually, a very multi-ethnic society. Uh, and when I first arrived, it, it ju- was pretty much invisible to me. You know, I just I looked around and everybody's Ethiopian, and I'm just thinking I'm here serving Ethiopians. And hmm. and yeah, over time it became became clear that this. Uh, the differences between ethnic groups that weren't always obvious to me were really important, a uh, really important part of society. And then uh, a few years ago, we we moved back to the U.S. and uh, I, I became aware that some of the same kind of conversation, it was just taking place in a somewhat different form. It was much more racialized here, um, whereas the conversation in Ethiopia was very very much about ethnicity and Kind of cultural particularities of different ethnic ethnic groups here it was really about racial identity, and so trying to think about the relationship between those two forms of identity, and then to uh, and of course to think about them biblically was uh, was was really important uh, felt to me mm. in order to better serve the uh, the church here in the U.S. but also the church around the world.
0: Yeah, and I want to get into some of those terms, whether it's. Uh, ethnic identity or racial identity and there's uh, there's a variety of other terms that we might use. Uh, I want to get into that in a little bit, but maybe before we go there uh, for those of us who have grown up and maybe live today in, within a majority culture um, they, they their culture, their ethnicity, whatever group that we want to talk about, it's the dominant group or the largest group that uh, around them. Um, give us a sense for what it was like for you and your wife and your family to live and work and worship even as a Christian for over two decades in a, maybe a minority culture of some sort. How would you describe what that experience was like for you?
1: Well, it was, uh, it was kind of at the beginning, I think it felt very, uh, it felt like a big challenge, um, that we were out, you know, fish out of water. We, we, we were in a place that, you know, we didn't belong to that place and the place didn't belong to us. Uh, we didn't know the rules of the road. Uh, that's that was true in a figurative sense. It was true in a literal sense as well <laughs> as we tried to you know drive around the capital city, Addis Ababa. But um, but I think uh, we you know we we got off the plane. It was immediately obvious that there was a that there was difference there. Um, it was you know it was obvious from our the color of our skin. It was obvious from language. It but it was it was obvious as well from the fact that they just did thought about life differently. And so mm-hmm. I think we recognize the cultural difference just immediately. Um, and in some places, you know, those cultural differences that exist, you know, of near culture peoples, um, maybe they're not quite as, as obvious, but they're still there.
0: Yeah. Do you think the experience of not being in the majority culture or even cultures perhaps, did that help you see dynamics related to how culture works and maybe how important it is that you you don't think you really saw before or, or we might not notice as much when we're in the majority
1: I think you really uh I mean you can grow up not even realizing that you have a culture you really realize that you have a culture when you meet difference uh and that's when you you have to say oh they don't think about the, you know that group, people that are part of that group or identify with that group, they don't think about life the same way. Kind of the invisible rules that govern the way that they do life um, you know, at every level are just different from the invisible rules that govern the way that I think about life and do life. Hmm.
0: Uh, so you open your book with a, a really direct statement. Uh, you say, though intended by God to be a rich source of blessing, differences in collective identity have instead become one of humanity's greatest sources of conflict, suspicion, alienation, and violence. Uh, and, and there's obviously a lot to unpack in that statement, a lot that feels intuitively true. We, we see that dynamic all around us. To start, it's interesting to note that that statement assumes that differences in our collective identities are not in and of themselves necessarily a bad thing. And that they were even part of God's plan for humanity—is that an accurate summary of kind of a, a, an assumption behind that statement?
1: I think so, and I think it's important to 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 say that because it hasn't always seemed to people that that's that's the case. That is, mm. some people think that you know cultural difference is something that uh, has been introduced by the fall. Um, that that it's the result of sin, rather than as part of the divine design, um, and so it's something that we will ultimately in the new heavens and new earth we will get over, uh, mm-hmm. and we will all have a, us the same culture, and mm-hmm. so even the way that people think have thought about scripture, the the vision and the dream of cultural uniformity uh, has has somehow been given kind of theological credence, yeah, uh, and. And you can see why that's, that's the case, because it has been the source of so much pain and you know, struggle and it, you know, some of the most th- things that are most prominent in, uh, in our world. You think of you know, contemporary events like what's unfolding in Ukraine. It really is a- about this question of cultural difference and domination across lines oh. of difference.
0: So help us understand, then, what would be the theological or the biblical case for that view? The view that ultimately, you know, in the new heavens and new earth, we're headed towards a, a cultural uniformity uh, that is kind of part and parcel of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. What would be the argument for that?
1: Well, sometimes it's, it's kind of based out of a, a, a wrong reading of the Tower of Babel incident that, that this... That this diversity of, of languages is a kind of, as a kind of divine curse as it were. Though um, well, that seems to be I mean I think probably people listening
0: right now would might think that feels like that's what happened, right? They, they, they in their pride, they build this huge tower and God comes down and he, he curses them with the confusion of their languages and that scatters them. So, so if that's not the right way to read that or understand that, what, what, what would be the right approach?
1: Well, if you uh, if you read the early chapters of Genesis, there is this this commission to, to fill the earth, and the way that it, you know begins to play out, uh, even in the preceding chapter in in Genesis chapter ten, there's this table of seventy nations, uh, and it's a kind of preliminary picture of, in a representative way, maybe even in a symbolic way, of the earth filled, um, but it's the outcome of 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 Babel rather, you know, it's what God intends to, to happen. And so at, uh, as they come together at Babel, the, the explicit statement of those who come together at Babel is we will not fill the earth. We will stay, you know, we will, we will be one people, one culture, one language. We are not going to spread out. We're not going to fill the earth. So it really is an act of rebellion against the, the divine purpose. Um, and so if you think about this command to fill the earth, not just as a command to populate the earth, I think that's a wrong reading of, of, of that command, but as a command to fill the earth with, with peoples and cultures and uh, each with their own language and ways of doing things. This is why in the genealogical material that you find in the early chapters of, of, of Genesis, you get these early signs of kind of cultural differentiation. Um, you know, this group became you know, began to work metal and this group began to write poetry and create musical instruments. You know, that's all in the genealogical material. Uh, mm. and I think that's 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 particularly significant. It's a kind of picture of 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 this filling of the earth happening.
0: Yeah. That's such an interesting way to read that story and, and one that I think you're right isn't maybe the default way that we're taught this uh, or or, or might understand it. So so in terms of that story, the story of Babel Are the languages, are those kind of representative almost of the broader cultures of these different people? And so in confusing their languages and mixing up the languages, that's sort of, should we take that as God, you know, almost miraculously expediting the cultural differentiation that he wants to see happen among all these people?
1: Yeah. So you have this... This filling of the earth that takes place in the early chapters of Genesis, and the re- you know the rebellion prior to the flood is instead of filling the earth with all these culturally diverse people who are still united in the worship of God, they fill the earth with violence. Um, so they're filling the earth with different cultures, but then they're using those those cultural differences to to oppress one another, to to do violence to one another, um, and so. You have the flood as the divine response to, response to that, and then as you move toward 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 Babel, the you know humanity seems to say, okay, well, well, enough with that fill the earth nonsense. We're gonna we're gonna stay one. We're gonna stay unified, uh, and you know that's gonna solve all our solve all our problems. Um, and and God's not having that either. And so his, the divine judgment uh, is no. We will fill the earth. Um, and so, so that's the confusion of language, is, uh, it's a curse, but it's also the divine and, you know, it's, it's re, the recovery of the divine intention as well.
0: Mm. So we live in a culture today, maybe in particular in America, but I think this is also evident in other places around the world. And it seems like, and this probably there's variation here, this is a bit of a generalization, but it seems like there is often a push today towards the collective identity side. Uh, People are increasingly viewed and discussed and labeled according to some kind of collective identity, and uh, that's kind of the dominant, uh, at least broader push that we see. And so I wonder, in light of that trend that we see in our society, uh, uh, not necessarily a Christian trend, although it appears in Christian circles as well, How would you respond to the person who says, you you know, this focus that you're advocating for in Scripture on these cultural identities being really important and and even there from the beginning, that's that's an imposition on the text that is probably more influenced by just the cultural moment that we live in now than the actual witness of Scripture
1: itself. How would you respond to, to that? Well, I think, you know, God's response to it is the Abrahamic covenant. And the abrahamic covenant in chapter 12 is is not does not arise from a vision for of cultural uniformity it is a rejection of that vision Mm. um and and a declaration that that vision is idolatrous Uh, how so it's idolatrous in the sense that uh that it is a desire for uh for for oneness for for sameness um, for everyone to be the, the same. And that will be the thing that solves all the problems. So it's, it's giving kind of ultimacy to, um, to this vision of totalizing unity. Um, and that's not a divine vision of unity. There is a divine vision for unity, but it's, it is not sameness. It's not a vision mm. of sameness.
0: Where do you see that in the Abrahamic covenant, that, that idea of unity, but it's not uniformity?
1: Yeah, so the Abrahamic covenant is, uh, is really the idea that, that God will make one people to be a, a holy people and then and, and restore the blessing that has been lost uh, because of the fall to that people. He will make a holy people, and then he will make that people a people of peoples. He will, you know, all, it will be a, 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 the people within which Blessing is restored to all peoples, mm. so that divine vision of a people of peoples then is at the heart of the Abrahamic uh, Abrahamic covenant, and this is this is God's solution to the fall, as it were. It's it's what God ad- announces as His divine intent to address the blessing that had been lost to humanity in the uh, in the fall.
0: And you kind of hit on this a little bit, but I wonder if you could further unpack it for us. I think. Um it feels like we might lose that broader vision for, uh, what God was doing through Abraham and and his offspring in light of the way that we see the, the ethnic, uh, narrowness of God's people in the old Testament of the people of Israel, where it feels like often the emphasis, the God's commands to them are aimed at narrowing the identity of the people of God around ethnic and, uh, you know, cultural uh, lines. So h- how do you understand that dynamic? Is that what's going on? Is that the right way to read the Old Testament? And how does that relate to this broader vision that you say is there from the beginning? Well, at,
1: at one level, uh, you know, as often in Scripture, the, there, it, it must take a preliminary form. Um, and, and the preliminary form that it takes within Israel is that you, you, you do have a unity of diversity. There are 12 tribes um, and they are very different, and they're culturally different from one another, and yet they're all part of of one nation, one one people. So I guess in a preliminary way, it's our, we already see it taking place in the, you know, as as, you know, the sons of Je- the twelve sons of Jacob. You know, it becomes a particular kind of people. It is constituted as a nation of twelve tribes. Um, so I think that's I think that's really important. Uh, to see this kind of preliminary shape uh, of you know this diversity even within this one this one people, so mm-hmm. it is it is p- particular. There's a national particularity to the to this people, but that national particularity it within the Abrahamic, Abrahamic covenant has a universal end, and that universal end is for. You know, a cultural multiplicity. There's multiplicity that's that God envisions to be brought into into this people. Hmm.
0: Maybe taking a step out of the text of Scripture itself, it's pretty common today to hear the critique that conservative evangelicals in America too often understand the gospel, understand the Bible, and salvation in overly individualistic terms. Uh, but you you note know in the book that. Uh, your goal with the book is to explore what scripture has to say about God's purposes, not only for people, but also for peoples. You've kind of already alluded to that distinction there. So I wonder if you could just unpack that a little bit more for us.
1: Yeah, I think that, that, uh, you know, going back to the, to the Reformation, that's, you know, particularly evangelical theology has been especially strong and, and talking about that, that, the need for individual transformation you must be born again and jesus is very clear about that and so we have we, we we can't lose sight of that um at the same time it in in the focus on individual soteriology to think through okay what is god ultimately attempting to achieve what is what are god's ultimate purposes um then i think we have to take into account that his his purposes are for groups of people, not just for, for individuals. So, both of those are, are vital and we can't lose, lose sight of either one of them or you lose something essential to our, our understanding of what God, God's intentions are.
0: So, at least in America, the probably the dominant cultural conversation related to these things called collective identities that we're having, that we've been having for hundreds of years, relates to the issue of race in some way. So maybe as a first question, does the Bible have a concept of race like the way that we use that term today?
1: I think the, the short answer is no, that race as a category or as a construct is not something that, uh, you, know, that you see in scripture at all. Um, they thought about collective identity in different terms. So it wasn't that they did acknowledge differences in skin color, but that wasn't the basis for thinking about cultural difference, not, with, not within Scripture. That, came, so that what, came much later.
0: So what would be some of those cultural identity markers that we see in Scripture explicitly?
1: I think it is probably much closer to contemporary notions of, uh, of ethnicity and of, of nationality. Of course, in an ancient context, it means something rather different than a modern state. You know, we we tend to use the term nation when we're t- talking about a state, which means internationally recognized borders. You know, a, a system of uh, of laws and uh, Western tradition. You know, individuals kind of voluntarily agreeing to a, to to live under that 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 political system, and so a state. Um, is, has been in modern terms identified with a nation that, of course, wasn't part of the, of the biblical, of the biblical narratives in any sense. Uh, a nation was, uh, you know, sort of kind of three three particular elements. Uh, it feels to me like as I read read those those Old Testament narratives, um, and was kind of the nexus of God, king, and land. And you could think of peoplehood without without land, but it'd be very difficult to think about, you know, a people that has no kind of connection to a deity. Uh, and so when, when kingship, um, you know, the, the worship of, uh, you know, kingship, worship, and land all kind of come together, then it, sort of a, a, an early conception of nationality seems to come into focus.
0: Mm. So it seems like a common thread or maybe like the core idea that stands behind any collective identity, no matter how you're drawing those groups, has to be that there is something about that group that is similar. The people, the individuals in that group share something in common. And it, it kind of got me wondering about just the, there's a certain normal and maybe non-prejudiced uh, way that we as humans tend to prefer things that feel similar or f- feel familiar or similar to us. You know, if, if we were raised eating a certain kind of food, there's a good chance I'm going to like that food as an adult and maybe prefer it over something that feels different that I'm not used to. And, and my sense is that dynamic applies to all kinds of things that feel familiar and comfortable to us, culturally speaking. And, and yeah, I think sometimes the problem that we see is that the preference for things that feel normal for us can sometimes morph into something more sinister, a, a type of cultural or ethnic or even racial superiority that leads us to look down on other people. So a question for you, especially having lived overseas for a long time, how do you think about where to draw the line between, let's call it a morally indifferent preference for something that feels familiar to us versus a feeling of superiority? Uh, And is that even the right question to be asking as Christians?
1: No, I think that's a great question. And, uh, and we, we, we don't realize, as I was mentioning before, that we have these this affinity affinity for similarity, until we meet the non-similar. You know, mm, yeah. Um, and and it's in that encounter that something crucial has to take place. A lot of people think that that culture is formed at the boundaries. Um, that is, it's it's where you there's the perception of difference, and you're you're then really even unconsciously saying, "No, I'm more like this." Um, you know my group does you know my group does things this way and that's how I tend to do them as well It's not uniformity within the group but the group is the, the, the culture with which you identify is kind of serving up the the options for you it's, mm. it's serving up a menu of choices from which individuals are uh, are choosing and but we recognize you know that we have a culture at the boundary you know where where our our culture meets some, some other culture, and when that happens, if we're aware that we have this kind of natural affinity to 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 likeness to similarity, then we will we will be very conscious of our need to 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 stay open to mm-hmm. to the difference on the other side. To say that's not wrong, um, and I saw this, you know, living overseas, saw this over and over again, where people would come in from uh, from outside. And their media impulses to to be critical, like why is it? Why do they do it that way? You know, <laughs> so it's a very human tendency, and unless we unless we check it and and then say no, we you know as my wife likes to say, unless we get curious um, mm. about the about the differences on the other side, then we will, we will recoil against them and even react against them. And, yeah. and when there's misunderstanding, then then the violence takes, you know, the the aggression just begins to, to come out of us.
0: Yeah, well, and this relates directly to a criticism that I think we often hear in America levied against, quote-unquote, white Christianity in America, uh, which is, you know, what both you and I would, would be a, a part of, so to speak. And, and, and it's that because white Christians have enjoyed a kind of cultural majority, uh, some would even use words like supremacy in the US, uh, that we often view distinctly white expressions, cultural expressions of Christianity to be the baseline and even maybe the biblical way to be a Christian or to do church or to read the Bible. Um, wh- what do you make of that criticism? Do you think there's truth in that, that, that many times white Christians uh, are perhaps unaware of the Cultural nature of how they view their faith, in particular.
1: Yeah, and I, I think it's you know it's not certainly not unique to to white Americans, but you know, I, I, uh, I remember you know in, in Ethiopia, um, Christianity first came into the highland areas, and uh, and the highland cultures of Ethiopia are very very different from the lowland cultures, and it's been much more difficult for the for the gospel to. And for churches to be planted uh, in these lowland areas, and part of the reason for that is that um, Highland Christians come announce the gospel. But you know, with that is the expectation that the way church is going to look like in lowland areas is going to be pretty much like it looks in the Highland areas. And hmm. So, so we normativize our own experience, right? Uh, and and we make that central. And if there's a, a uh, cultural per, per, preponderance or dominance uh, of one particular one particular group that can be ma- that that can be made a kind of normative um standard against which you know difference is measured. so those represent difference i'm just nor- normal you know <laughs> so, yeah right so it's that's that so, sort of natural but once but certainly sinful tendency to to center the, the experience of my group and to make it normal and normative for everyone in relation to which everyone else is, is different.
0: How do we, as Christians, make sure we're not normalizing certain uh, culturally defined expressions of our faith and making them you know, the idea of what it means to be a Christian? How, how do we fight against that tendency that is natural within each of us?
1: That's a great question. and. Uh, I think part of it is uh, comes from internalizing uh, kind of this biblical vision for for humanity, um, and to see ourselves as as uh, as as people who have been welcomed as guests um, into 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 Israel's um, experience of, of peoplehood. Into we've been welcomed into Israel. That's that's what the New Testament articulates as the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. God has, you know, welcomed all peoples into this one people. And, and so we, we're not the dominant group. <laughs> you know, we may feel that way in our own specific cultural place and time. Um, but theologically, that's not the truth about us. Um, we have been we have been welcomed as as guests, so we need to see ourselves. Uh, in in those terms not as the dominant group but as a group charged with this responsibility as we see in Romans to to accept others and to accept one another across lines of cultural cultural difference Mm. Um, so I mean every 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 banquet needs a host and you know we're not we're not the host uh you know at, at at stage one we're um, as we're welcomed into that people, then we are welcoming others into that people as well. We be- become a part of the whole. That's welcoming other peoples who have not yet come into this to this whole. Uh, but to really internalize that, I think, uh, can really shape our, our perspective um, where, uh, and really kind of rid us of this sense of, of cultural centrality and, and, and dominance that I think every culture, no matter how much or how, you know how big or how small we all kind of have this tendency to center ourselves, and so to have to decenter ourselves by thinking of ourselves in theological terms and not just in terms of demographics, I think is really important.
0: Hmm. Maybe as a final question, kind of narrowing in uh, even more tightly on the church community, on our our own local churches, maybe uh, offer some advice to pastors. What does it look like? For a church to embrace this theological vision of God's people that, as you said, is is from the beginning intended to be a multi-ethnic type of uh, people, uh, how, how do we actually make that a reality in our churches, how do we make that a priority in our churches without just um, going too far and, you know, overemphasizing the collective identities, uh, looking just at skin color and uh, and all of the, the ways that we can kind of take that too far. What does that look like?
1: This is going to sound a little old school, uh, but in places, uh, in urban areas, of course, where there's cultural multiplicity there, then, you know, cultivating cultural multiplicity inside of the church makes a lot of sense. That, that kind of cultural diversity isn't true in all parts of the country. It's certainly not in, you know, more rural, rural areas. Uh, but one of the best things that a that a church can in that kind of situation can do is to is to cultivate a robust missions program. In other words, you know that. so I know that's going to sound really old school, but until we're beginning to think, you know, about the way in which the gospel, at, from the earliest stages and throughout, you know, Christian history has transited cultural boundaries, where the gospel has, has gone to peoples where Christ is not yet known. So that those peoples too can be welcomed in, to to the one people, um, then uh, you know that, that feels really really uh, important and once it's fundamental and foundational for for Christian identity. Mm. Um, so those would be a, a couple of things. You know, if you if you're in an area and and many areas are like this where there's cultural multiplicity, even if there's not a lot of cultural diversity in your church at the present. Um, what are some ways in which you can, within your communities, within the you know, in, in connections between churches, increasingly within your own church, um, be encouraging those kinds of of you know, rich intercultural expressions of 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 Christian faith.
0: Hmm. And, and what would you say then to the pastor who, who, is lives in a more rural place, or again, maybe just a more culturally. Uh, uniform type of context, and and he maybe sees in his congregation a kind of uh, narrowness in terms of how people view their faith and view what it means to be a Christian, and he wants to help them kind of have a broader vision for what the people of God uh, encompasses. What might he do to help encourage that, knowing that his church is just never going to be as uh, diverse in in different ways uh, as maybe someone in a city would be?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, there's probably, I mean, there's probably dozens and dozens of ways that you could, you could do this, but, um, but who do we hold up as our examples? Uh, you know, if, if you're, if you have, you know, a zealous young Christian and they want to be listening to, to things, where are you, where are you pointing them to? Are, are the people that you're pointing them to all people that share your own cultural frame? Or are you pointing them as as models of what robust Christian maturity looks like? What, um, what, a deep embrace of Christianity sounds like? Are you pointing them to people that uh, that you know that that come from cultural different you know different cultural perspectives? Um, so that would be that would certainly be one uh, one thing. Um, how do we build these kinds of cultural connections? Oftentimes we have, you know. You know, immigrant communities that are being settled. You know, my I grew up in Southwest Kansas, um, and you can you'd be difficult to imagine a more culturally monolithic place. And you know, at the time that I grew up, and now there are immigrant immigrant Somalis coming in there, people coming in, you know, migrant workers coming in for work and in, in agricultural industries. And you know, I think it, you know, in our globalized world. That sort of experience of, of cultural, um, you know, of a culturally monochrome life is just, it's just much more rare, mm. and and that's not a bad thing. I think many many people see it as a bad thing, but to cultivate within our churches a sense that this is a good, this is a good thing, um, uh, this linguistic diversity, this cultural diversity, this. It enriches life, and this is a, in one sense, uh, reflective of what, you know, the kingdom of God is like. There, are, you know, there are oppressive forms of that cultural multiplicity. That's what empire is in scripture, right? But kingdom of God is cu- culturally multiple, and it's a good. It's a good mm. thing, and so just to, to be to as that kind of cultural diversity increasingly comes in even into rural communities, um, it's important for us to disciple our our people and to embrace this as a as a good thing doesn't mean we're all going to agree on immigration policy you know on on what the solution is for uh, illegal immigration that those those are political arguments that are worth worth having but if they begin to impinge upon our understanding of cultural multiplicity as a as a value to be embraced um then i think it's it, it becomes somewhat hostile to what what God's purposes really really are. And so you know a worrying trend. you know if you have have people in your churches who are being influenced by kind of white nationalists or even so-called Christian nationalist voices, um, I think it's really important to kind of clearly speak out against uh, the, these kinds of tendencies. the idea that cultural uniformity, cultural sameness, is really what we ought to, ought to be aiming for. Um, that, you know, that's a, that's a Tower of Babel kind of mentality, and, mm. and God made clear what he thought of it.
0: Mm. Well, Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today about these cultural identities and, as you say in the book, their central purpose uh, in God's plan for the world. We, we appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation.
0: That was Stephen Bryan on Race, Ethnicity, and the Bible. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Cultural Identity and the Purposes of God, A Biblical Theology of Ethnicity, Nationality, and Race. Pick up your copy of the book for 30% off directly from Crossway by visiting crossway.org plus. That's crossway.org plus. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help us spread the word, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps a lot. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.